Welcome, everybody. Good to see you guys today. I'm excited to talk with you a little bit about the healing strategy for our life and our relationships. Um, how many of you have been knocked down emotionally or even physically before? Yeah, we all get knocked down. But here's the thing. Not everybody gets back up. And I want to talk to you today about how we can get up when we've been knocked down. You know, um, when I was in school, uh, junior high and first year of high school, I played uh, football. Uh, not very well. Um, I was a bench warmer mostly, and um, I didn't get to play in games hardly ever. But I had this one particular uh, practice session where um, we were scrimmaging ourselves, basically. And uh, my buddy Nuri, who was the star athlete on the team, caught the ball and he was running back the other way. It was a kickoff. I'm running this way. I'm on defense. And we had actually hung out the night before. I remember that because I thought, I got a man up right now. Or he's just going to plow all over me and then he's going to give me a hard time endlessly, right? So, you know, I put my head down. I hit him with everything I had. He hit me with everything he had coming towards me and we both fell backwards and we both went down. The difference is he popped right back up and I was lights out. I couldn't see a thing. And then when I did come to, it was like stars and I didn't know where I was, you know, like what was happening. When I finally stood up, I remember it was like the earth had tilted on its axis. And uh, it actually stayed that way for several weeks. Um, but it was like the hit that messed me up. And even though I got up and kept going, after that hit, my relationship with football changed. I was like, you know, I don't think I'm genetically made to do this. There are, there are people much tougher than me who can do this. I, I think I want to cheer from the stands because I don't ever get to play anyway. So that was my last year of football, but it was really that moment, that hit that knocked me down, and I never quite got up the same way. By the way, I told a story about this uh, over a year ago, and a, a part of our central family um, I, were here, and they heard me mention the name of my friend who plowed over me that day. His name was Nuri, and I mentioned his full name in that service. We haven't seen each other in decades and decades, not since then. He moved away right after that year. I never saw him again, and they're like, we know a guy named that in California, and they reached out to him, but no, no light. It was him. He's like, yeah, I lived there for like two years and then I was out, you know? And so we talked on the phone this last year after all these decades. But here's what's funny. I'm like, it's Nuri, man. Do you remember me? And he's like, yeah, vaguely, maybe. <laughs> I'm like, oh man, I'm that guy. You know what I'm talking about. I'm that. I remember him because he's like the star athlete and everybody loved him. And he didn't even remember me, y'all. And then... Not only that, I'm like, do you remember that hit that like took me out? He's like, nah, really? Just goes to show that, that sometimes when you get hurt and you get knocked down, sometimes the people that do it aren't even aware of what's happened. But you keep carrying that weight and that burden. By the way, he's a great guy. We had a great, great conversation, and I'm hoping I can get him to Central whenever he comes and visits. But that was a lot of fun. But when you get knocked down, how do you get back up? Because listen, if you want to be happier, you got to get healthier. You got to heal the pain of yesterday so it doesn't ruin today. And so I want to talk to you about this simple strategy 
We've been looking at uh, just some, some strategies to help us in our relationships. Uh, and we've said, uh, like, first we talked about the connection strategy, uh, focusing more on what draws us together than what separates us. We talked about the new attitude strategy that, look, the only person you can really change is yourself. And if you change your attitude, you can change your life. Um, then we talked about the believe the best strategy last week. We said, look, if, if you really want to be happier together, try to find the most generous explanation for the behavior of those that you love. And believe it as long as you possibly can. Believe the best about those that you love. This week, I want to talk about the healing strategy. And the idea has been, as we grow closer to God and grow in our faith, that we also grow closer relationally to the people that we love. Now, when it comes to the healing strategy, if we were standing in the lobby of the church and um, you told me that you had been hurt, you'd gone through a loss or a divorce or a breakup, um, maybe you lost a loved one. Um, maybe you lost a job. If you, were, if you have been through some pain, if you have been knocked down, and I just had a couple minutes with you, I would give you what I'm going to give you today in a little bit longer form. But I, I would tell you, first of all, you got to give it time. You got to give it time. And that's the first thing I want you to think about when it comes to the healing strategy or process. It takes time. And most of us underestimate how long it's going to take to heal from the things that we've gone through in our lives. I, I, I'm not a very patient person. Let, let, let me hear it. Put your hand up for all the impatient people. How, how you see, look, at, look at all the impatient people. I'm not, and, and especially when I drive. When I'm driving, my inner pastor dies. Some other dude shows up, and he is ready to go, right? And so, like... I have this term of endearment for people on the road that won't get out of the way. And because they're driving like grandmas, and I don't know why, I just, you know, the grandma name in my mind is Ethel May. I just started calling everybody who won't get out of the way, Ethel May. I'm like, you know, I'll be in a light and the light turns green. I'm like, come on, Ethel May, you, you can do it. Just right foot on the gas. You can do it. You know, like driving along, somebody's in the slow lane. You're like, Ethel May, come on, man. You can do it. It's the blinker. You know, it's the blinker. Use it. And then you move over. Okay, anyway. So I'm driving along with my daughter a couple, a couple months ago, and, and, she, and she goes, we should name this car. It's a Honda um, CRV. We should name the. We should name our car. I'm like, okay, you know, so everybody's throwing out names. And then my daughter says, I got it. I've got the name Ethel May. And I am like, that is the official name of our family car now, Ethel May. So I'm impatient. You understand, many of you, but not only when I'm driving, I'm also impatient in kind of how I approach pretty much everything in life. I think I can get things done so much faster than they can actually be done. Right? So I kind of like underestimate how long things are going to take all the time. And it's so easy to do when it comes to healing in our lives. Because when you've been through something, you just want to get up, you want to keep going, you want to move forward, you just want to get going. But the reality is it often takes a long time to process and heal. Galatians chapter 6, beginning in verse 9 in the Bible, I'm going to read this. And when we get to the red word, if you'll just say it real loud together with me, it's just how we make sure everybody's awake. Here's what it says. It says, so let's not get tired of doing what is good at just the right what? 
time, at the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. He said, don't give up in that moment when you're tired, when you're worn out, because at the right time, God will show up and work. And the process that God has given us to recover from loss, we call it grieving. And it's just that, it's a process. One study showed that when you lose a loved one, the grieving period can last up to four years on average, and it often peaks at around the six-month mark. Four years is a long time. Another study looked at how long it takes to get over a divorce. The answer was one year for every five years of marriage. It's a process, and everybody's different, but it takes time. So no matter what you lost, a job or a friendship, the love of a parent, the love of your family, it's a loss that you need to grieve even while you're hoping to restore it. And somebody described grief kind of like the waves of an ocean, right? They, they crash over you. It can be overwhelming. And then they pass. But you know there's another wave coming because it's a process. And it'll hit you at the weirdest times. I remember not long after losing my father, I'm standing in, I think it was in Albertsons in the grocery store. My dad was a refrigeration guy his whole life. And I walked by this um, uh, belt on the floor, a, a tool belt, and it was right in front of uh, one of the coolers that was empty, and some uh, technician was repairing that cooler, but he wasn't there. I just walked up to his belt, and I almost went into the full-blown fetal position, y'all. I'm bawling my eyes out, and, I'm, and I have no idea why, except I'm like, my dad is that's grief, right? It just hits you in waves. You don't know when it's going to come. I'll hear the weirdest thing on the radio. You guys go through this, and, and all of a sudden, you're like tearing up and having a moment. You can't even explain it. It's a process of grief. But when you've been hurt, you can recover. I believe you can come back stronger and smarter, happier and healthier, but it's going to take time. And sometimes it's going to seem like one step forward and two steps back. You got to lean into it and lean into God. And at just the right time, he says, he will bless you in your life. Listen, at just the right time, God can give you peace. At just the right time, God can give you clarity. At just the right time, God can lift the darkness. At just the right time, God can show you what's next. At just the right time, God can give you joy and he can make you stronger. He can make you wiser. And at just the right time, he can bless you if you don't give up. Don't give up and give it time. So if we were standing in the lobby and you've been knocked down, the first thing I'd say is, hey, this is going to take some time. Give yourself a lot of grace. Be patient with yourself. It's going to take some time. Second thing I would say is you need to talk it out. If you want to heal, if you want to get up and keep going, you got to talk it out. You know, every now and then my wife will do these little sighs, right? She'll, I'll come in the room and she'll be working on her computer and she'll go, <sighs> and everything in me wants to leave and go to another room. Every guy in here knows what I'm talking about, right? Because you're like, oh man, I don't want to have a conversation. I don't, don't want to hear about it right now. Got my own stuff. The game's on. Right? Because we, we know, like, what is that sigh? That sigh is a bid for attention. Right? That sigh is an indirect way of saying, ask me how I'm doing. I already know how you're doing. Because it's always about the same thing in our family. It's always about Lori trying to get Ethan to do his homework, and we're trying to navigate chemistry, and we're trying to convince ourselves it matters, even though we know with our kid and chemistry, 
he's never going to use this the rest of his life. But I hear that sigh, and I got to lean in, right? I got to respond to that bid for attention. And so I say, what's up? Even though I already know what's up. And we talk it out again. Because talking is a very important part of healing. It's a very important part of, of thriving in our lives. James chapter 5, verse 16 says this. Uh, it says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be what? Healed. How, who wants to be healed? I'm in for that. Somebody's like, I don't even know what's wrong with me, but stuff's wrong, man. I need to be healed. Yes. Right? Well, confess your sins to one another. This is the idea of being honest with somebody in your life about the, you know, your mistakes, your failures, your drama. But we often just associate that with guilt. I, I think it's also bigger. Like We also need to confess and talk about the attitudes going on in our hearts, the, the bitterness, the stuff we've processed in our hearts so that we can be healed. There is a power in confession and in just talking it out. And you'd be surprised. If I'm standing with you in the lobby, I'd be like, are you talking to anybody about this? How many times people will say to me, no, no, I'm not talking to anybody about this. Look, you can talk to a counselor. They can be super helpful. I've used counselors many times in the past. I know people are like, oh, I don't know, man. What's a counselor going to tell me anyway? You know, man, like I got it. Okay, but I want you to think about this. Maybe it's not about what a counselor would tell you. Maybe it's about having an environment where you actually talk about the stuff you've gone through, just talking it out. Listen, you talk it out and you will work it out, right? It could go a long way. Talking it out isn't a sign of weakness. It's an investment in health in your life. And so a counselor can give you a place to talk it out or a friend can give you a place to talk it out. And, and uh, a family member, somebody that's close to you, it's just important that we talk it out. So if you've been knocked down, if you've been through loss, if you want to be happier, you got to get healthier. And if you want to get healthier, you got to give it time. You got to talk it out. Here's the third thing I would challenge you with. You got to let it go. You got to let it go. Uh, when I first started dating my wife, Lori, she was really into like water skiing. She'd grown up going down to the lake and they'd get the boats and they would do the whole thing. And she could, she could do it, man. Her and her brother could go out on the waves and, and they could like slalom and do all the things. Hold the rope with this hand and hold it with that hand and like, you know, show off, jump. So we went out together with the group of people and I'm like, man, I got to impress her. You know, I felt like I got to turn it up, right? So I go out, I'd never water skied in my life, but I put all the stuff on and I'm out there in the water. And I remember when I finally, the, you know, the boat started going and I finally stood up on my feet. It was amazing. I'm like, I'm water skiing, I'm doing it. She's looking at me. <laughs> and then I started to do the splits. My legs started to go apart. And you're like trying to pull them back in, but that ain't gonna happen. And then it goes a little further and then a little further. And I'm telling you, man, I went down and it was ugly. And I mean, it was like, I'm getting a nasal enema. 
I'm just drinking water and I'm holding on to the rope with everything I've got because I don't know what to do. All I know is just hold on, hold on, right? I can tell they're, they're waving at me on the back of the boat. I can tell they're yelling something at me on the back of the boat. And what are they yelling? Let it go. Let go of the rope, you idiot. I'm just holding on. Ah! <laughs> and when I finally let go after way too long, I'm not sure I let go. I just, it kind of went, went out of my hand, right? All of a sudden, everything gets peaceful. You know, all of a sudden, like, oh, okay, I can breathe. I can breathe. I'm very clean now all the way through. I can breathe. I'm good. But here's the thing, a lot of times when we get hurt, we just keep hanging on to that hurt. And we hold on to it, and we hold on to it, and it causes more chaos in our life, and more difficulty, and it's hard to breathe, and you feel like you're drowning, and you don't realize it's because you're holding on to the hurt. But when you let go of the hurt, the hurt starts to let go of you. And some of us, we just need to let go of the rope. And just let go and say, God, I, I give it to you. I surrender to you. Listen to what Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 says. It says, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. For anger gives a what? You see this? A foothold to the devil. Well, a foothold, that's like a climbing term. And so a climber will come along and, and uh, footholds are very important because if you can get a foothold, you can go higher up the face of a rock, right? And so Paul's saying, look, our anger and our bitterness in our lives, if we don't let go of that stuff, it will give the devil an opportunity to get a foothold into our life and climb further up into our heart. It will give him the opportunity to turn a foothold into a stronghold. And you go from having moments of anger and moments of bitterness to being an angry, bitter person. And so how do we keep those footholds from becoming strongholds? Well, one part of the answer is forgiveness, right? Letting it go. Forgiveness. And if we're honest, when you need to forgive the most, that's when you're going to want to forgive the least. Right? When you really need to forgive the most, you're going to want to forgive the least. We say, I can't forgive them because they aren't sorry. Right? I can't forgive them because I'm not done hurting. I, I can't forgive them because it feels too unfair. I can't forgive because reconciliation isn't possible. I can't forgive because I just don't have it in me. And a lot of times the biggest reason that we withhold forgiveness, it's because we feel like it's the last thing that we can hold over the other person to force them to make things right. It's like our last bit of control over a situation that has made us feel out of control. But here's the thing, all of those excuses may sound right. They may even feel right. And I believe they're all like schemes of the devil because they hitch your healing to the choices of somebody else. They make your healing dependent on the actions of somebody else. Once they say they're sorry, I'll forgive, right? Once they admit what they've done, I'll forgive. Once I see a changed behavior, I'll forgive, 
But forgiveness is not about their freedom. It's about your freedom. Forgiveness is not about their behavior. It's about your healing. And I think when we begin to see that, we realize that if we want to take back control of our own emotional health, and if we want to heal and move forward, it starts when we come to a place of letting some things go and forgiving. And one reason that we struggle with forgiveness is we confuse it with reconciliation. We think, you know, if I forgive that person, then I have to like let them back into my life and act like nothing's happened. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to couples and it's like, well, you know, he did all of this and he cheated and he lied and he stole, but he says to me now, hey baby, if you're a Christian, you gotta forgive me. I'm like, well, you can forgive him, but I would never let him back into your life. That's a whole other thing. He's wanting to go back like nothing happened because you're a Christian. Forgiveness can acknowledge things happen. In fact, one of the most healthy things we can do emotionally is make sure in our lives that we have the right people in the right emotional spaces of our lives. My friend Mike Foster um, talks about a house. He talks about it like this, and I'll just break it down. He says, you have like the main bedroom in a house, and that sort of represents um, the, you know, your, your kind of closest community. You might have one friend or two friends that would be at the closest level in your life where you share your biggest fears and dreams and aspirations with. You're actually lucky if you have one friend at that place in your life. It's like the main bedroom. There's only a few people you let emotionally into that main bedroom space, right? Then you have the dining room. This is where like, you know, all your friends can hang out, people you know, people that you know, family, they hang out at the dining room. Then he says, you know, you have the front porch. This is where you have transactional relationships with people. Um, it may be coworkers. It may be uh, the delivery people. It, it might be your neighbor that you don't know that well, but, you know, every now and then they'll come over and be like, hey, man, your tree's dropping on my yard, right? <laughs> like, and then you have the sidewalk, which is everybody else in the world, right? And the important thing for us to realize when it comes to emotional health is there are People don't get a right to be in every space in your life unless you just give it to them. And some people will abuse that space. Some people will, some of you, you start, you date somebody like three dates and they want to be in the main red room. And I'm not talking about sexually. I'm just saying like they want to be in your, in a, hey man, we want to know everything. And you're like, whoa, whoa, it's okay to be like, well, we're going to have a thing called a boundary here because you're still on the front porch, bro. You haven't even moved into the dining room yet. That's going to take a while, you know? It's okay. Like, maybe you're at the dining room. You've got a friend who betrays you and lies to you. And they're like, well, you know, you say you're a Christian. Why don't you forgive? And you can say, well, I do forgive. And I let that go. But it's still okay for you to move them from the dining room to the front porch or maybe to the sidewalk. It's okay. I mean, sometimes it is the spiritually mature thing to do to be like, love you, but... We're going we're gonna to redefine this relationship now. And a lot of times we think forgiveness and reconciliation are the same, and so we don't know what to do with that. You can forgive somebody and say, I let go of my perceived right for revenge or to get back at you. I turn that over to God. I don't have to carry that burden. I wish you the best. God bless you. I just wish you the best on the sidewalk, <laughs> not in my bedroom. I wish you the best on the front porch, not in my dining room, you know? 
But you're healthy when you start moving people into the right healthy places in their life. So letting it go is a huge part of forgiving and then moving on, moving on, moving on really with God. Luke chapter 12, verse 31 says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and he will give you what? Everything you need. Seek God first and he will give you everything you need. And the thing that you got to put above everything else, above, uh, uh, you know, you don't have to have the perfect marriage to have everything you need. You don't have to have a spouse to have everything you need. You don't have to have kids to have everything you need. You don't have to have a perfect life or a perfect job or a perfect social media channel to have everything you need. Seek God above all else and he will provide for you everything you need. May not be everything you want, but be everything you need. Trust him. When you make God the first thing, he will give you everything you need. I was thinking this last year about just my own process. And I don't know what the last 19 months have meant for you. We've all been on our own journeys. But I know everybody's been knocked down a little bit over this last 19 months. I started thinking about just my own journey. I remember when the lockdown first happened back in March 2020, and the week that it was happening, the latter part of that week, I had these senior pastors leading different churches around the country who, who came into town, and they were all sitting in my living room. It's just like a mentoring day. I do this a lot with different pastors and leaders and talking about what it's like to lead a church and all the things. And, you know, all this news of the shutdown keeps getting more serious and more serious. And I think as we're all sort of in my living room, it starts to hit me like, we're, we're going to shut down. You remember how crazy that sounded before it happened? Like, this could actually happen. And what's this going to mean? And what's it going to mean for people? And what's, it, you know, all these things. And I'm with all these young pastors, and they're all excited at first. They're like, well, it's kind of cool. You know, we'll shut everything down for a few weeks. We'll have opportunities. We'll be able to encourage people and help people. And there is a bliss to being young and naive, right? There's a curse to experience. We always talk about the blessing, right, of experience. You know, oh, he's experienced. Well, there's also a dark side to experience where you're like, I'm sitting over there and I'm like, oh, this is going to hurt. This is about to hurt so bad. And I remember I got them all together in my living room and I said, okay, listen, listen, gang. Because these are all people leading different churches. I'm like, you're, you're about... This is about to hurt worse than anything you've ever experienced in leadership. I'm like, if this goes down, I want you to think about getting hit on the head with a baseball bat. This is going to hurt. And then you're not going to have any time to process that pain because you have to lead. So you better step up because your churches are going to need and your city is going to need from you more than you have ever given them for the foreseeable future. Right? They're all looking at me like... I was a bundle of joy. Aren't you glad you came? God bless you. But I just led through enough things to have a framework to know like, oh man, this is going to be really challenging, right? So the shutdown happens. You know, I was so proud of our central family that just stepped up and led so strongly. We're still doing pop-up food pantries around our cities five days a week, still 80-something weeks straight. It's crazy, right? But I tend to take things and lock them up in a, in a room because I don't have time to deal with them. And then I just get on with leading. How many of you understand what that's all about? <laughs> you just sort of bury that thing like, oh, yeah, we're going to put that in the cellar. Put a big lock on that. And you can do that for a while. And every other crisis I'd led through 
came to an end. Hello. But this thing is like the song that will not end, right? Just goes on and on, my friend. And there's a place where I finally start cracking up because you can lock, them, lock all the drama up in the side room, but eventually the door starts bulging out. You know, it's coming back out into your life. And so I made it a year from March to March, and then I made it to about May of this last May. I made it about 14 months, and I was like, okay, I, I'm starting to crack up. I've been strong for everybody else, but now I gotta take some time, and I've got to process, and I've got to heal myself. And that's a word for some of you. I know you're strong for your families and for your kids. I know you feel like you can't grieve, you can't open that door because you gotta take care of everybody else. But listen, if you don't let God eventually transform that pain in your life, you're gonna start transferring that pain to people in your life. Right, and then all the things that you went through, you start actually passing on to the people around you because you didn't deal with it. So what I did was a process exactly like what we talked about. First, I went away this last summer, I got really intentional about processing things. I understand it takes time. I started to talk. I met with a counselor on a weekly basis and started to talk about all the stuff of the last many months and leading and people I was frustrated with, people I felt like I'd been hurt by, you know, there are people you feel like you've been abandoned by, like, you know, and you're, I'm processing all of this. I went for long walks with my wife. I'm not a journaler, but for that season, I forced myself to journal and write some thoughts out out just to try and get it. I'm just trying to get it all out. Get it out there. It's important to grieve your losses. You know, we had lost people in our church family uh, to COVID. We had, we had been through all the drama of the divisiveness and the political divisiveness and the tearing apart of families and people. We, we've lived through a lot. And for some of you, you're, you're still running along, but you've never stopped to grieve and to process things that were lost. And so I journaled, I wrote, I created a forgiveness list so I could let some things go. And I put some people's names on that list. Some of them I knew, some of them I never met personally, but I was still angry at them. Right? Some were people that I tried to work with to get churches open. People that I tried to work with to get help for our communities that I felt like didn't step up when the community needed it the most. And you know, for those of you that are like me that are fiercely loyal, that's a blessing and it's also a curse because you're like, all right, I won't, I'll never forget, which can go dark really fast, right? And I had to come to a place of praying for each of those individuals, asking God to give me the strength to forgive them and to let it go and to just move into the future that he has for me. And finally, I had to come to a place of surrender, saying, God, look, I'm yours. I'm here to serve you, to follow you. Everything I have is yours. I'm just here to love people, no matter what they believe, no matter where they're from, no matter what perspective they have, that I'm your servant. And I got back to that, but it took me all summer to get there. And I'm still in the process because life is a process. But listen, if you want to be happier, you got to get healthier. And if you've been through some stuff and you've been knocked down, you got to get back up. Everybody gets knocked down, but not everybody gets back up. But you can get back up healthier and stronger when you give it time, when you talk it out, when you basically let it go and forgive, turn it over to God, 
And then when you move on in faith and surrender to him and put him above everything in your life. I don't know what kind of losses you've experienced. Divorce or breakups, betrayal, abuse, illness, pain, loss. I don't know how the past 20 months may have hit you or your family, but I know that when we all get knocked down in different ways, we can all get up in God's grace. We can heal. We can move forward. We can be happier and we can get healthier. Maybe you're here today and um, maybe you're at a place where you're ready to take some spiritual steps in your life to get healthier. We have an opportunity next week something we call First Step around here at Central. It's a seminar that's happening this next Saturday right here at our Henderson location and all of our different uh, Central family locations as well as online. And First Step is a place where you'll uh, make some friends, you'll connect with some people, you'll learn about God and faith and begin to grow in your faith. And it could be for some of you a huge step towards spiritual and emotional healing in your life. So if you've never been to First Step, then I want to encourage you, you to go to central.family. You can register right there at First Step. Uh, at any of our locations, you can swing out to the lobby. Just let them know you're interested in First Step. We'll get you signed up. Or you can just show up and take that step in your life. And I believe when you show up in an environment like that, God is going to show up and do something significant. Even in a few hours, it could be a launching pad for you towards greater healing in your life. First Step's a great opportunity coming up this next Saturday. Maybe you're here, maybe you've never crossed that line of faith. I'd love to give you an opportunity just to reach out to God and to trust him in your life. So would all of you bow your heads and close your eyes? If you'd like to become a follower of Jesus today, you can begin that journey by repeating a simple prayer after me, either out loud or in your own heart and mind. Just say, dear God, I thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus into the world. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose again. Forgive me for my sins. Give me the gift of eternal life. Help me face the challenges that I'm up against. God, I surrender my life to you in Christ's name. Friends, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's your prayer today, if it's your commitment, I'm going to ask you to just slip your hand in the air. Just make eye contact with me just to say before God and to say to me you're going to trust him in your life today. God bless you guys. Just slip your hand in the air. Thank you. Let's reach out to him today. Thank you. Thank you. God, I thank you for each person reaching out to you, and I pray you'll fill their life with your joy, your goodness, your peace. God, walk with them, sustain them, give them courage and strength. And for all of us, may we heal and grow as we follow you in faith. We thank you. In Christ's name, amen.